we are going to be looking at 1 Samuel starting in chapter 1, and we're going to be focusing primarily on verses 21 to 28. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you could turn it on, turn in the paper Bible or whatever you have, or the words are on the screen. The writer to the book of to us through the book of Samuel says this, the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and, and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she weaned him, she took him up with her, along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. You may be seated as we go into prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, as we gather before you this morning, I pray that you would give us tender hearts towards your word, that your spirit would soften our spirit, you would make our mind able and ready to understand what it is you have for us today. Make our hearts tender to hear what your Holy Spirit has for us. Grow us in the areas that we need growth. Challenge us, Lord, in the places that we need to be challenged. The Bible tells us that we are your people for your world and we have work to do. You commissioned us to go and you commanded us to love. Help us to exude love in everything we do and help us to be active agents in this world fulfilling the mission that it is you've called us to fulfill and that is to tell people about Jesus the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords he who walked out of the tomb having victory over death launching new creation and letting the entire world know that the enemy no longer has the control that he once had that when he thought he had complete victory It actually meant his absolute defeat. But Father, we are at the beginning of that story, a launching again of another piece of your covenantal promise to your people. As we start the study and we take a look at the life of Hannah and Elkanah and those kids and Samuel, her son, and what that entailed and what that really meant for the people of Israel, stir our hearts to understand your story. We need to know it from beginning to end, Lord. Not just little bits and pieces of it, but in knowing your story, in getting it in our hearts and getting it in our minds, we can see that you are active even today, that you are a faithful God, that you are a covenant-keeping God, and that when you say something will be done, it will be done. And when we learn today that in order for that to happen, we need to be obedient people and agents of change and active in the things that you call us to do. Help us to see that, Lord. Now, as we go into your word this morning, may the meditation of our hearts, may the attitude of our mind, all of our thoughts, everything be laid before you and be made to be subjected to you so that we can be your people for your world. And ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
as Andy drew your attention to the prayer request down there, we have some folks there that we would just like continued prayer for. I want to just draw your attention to Flossie, to Ray, and to Taj, most especially as they are just struggling with different things. Continue to keep those folks in your prayer throughout the week. Um, just because the Lord needs to move on their behalf in many different ways. So I would encourage you to do that. We're starting a new series, and we're going to go pretty much through the, the fall in this, and I've titled it simply Son of Jesse. So we're done with our summer in the Psalms, and we're launching off into the Son of Jesse, which will be just nothing but the next phase of what I call the covenantal promises of God being fulfilled in and through his people. And I started in 1 Samuel chapter 1 as opposed to 1 Samuel chapter whichever when we get to identify who the son of Jesse is, because I think it's good for us to spend some time understanding the context, the historical understanding, and how it is there's always faithful people in the plan of God throughout history who make decisions that continue to move God's plan forward for all of humanity. So as we settle into the scriptures this morning, I'm not in 1 Samuel chapter 1 simply by accident. I think it's good for us to have some building blocks to really understand that each step along the way, God has faithful people who will always step into those places that seem to be completely scary, totally out of our reach, totally out of our expectations, and totally out of our expertise because God's called us to be there. And we're going to find that out today and next week and in the weeks to come that God uses us in order to move his plan forward. If we sit back and we do nothing... He'll find somebody else, but we miss out on the blessing that God would have for us to step into that which he's called us to. So I've titled the message this morning, very simply, One Act of Obedience. And what I want us to look at, very simply, through Hannah and this story, is that God could have done anything, any way he wanted to. But he's chosen throughout history, if we read our Bibles, to use broken people to bring about his covenantal promises that he has spoken to his people. Our duty in the midst of that is our acts of obedience within that plan that God has put forward from the beginning of time. And we spent our summer, as most of you know, looking at the Psalms and focused on God's covenantal promises in dark times because we really felt that that's where we needed to rest given all the things that were going on with the world. Ultimately, we came away with the understanding that God is sovereign over all of the affairs of humanity. That the kings and the kingdoms of this world are subjected to him whether they like it or not. And that their call was and still is to submit to his authority. We have problems in this world when we choose not to submit to his authority. And then we become in conflict with him. And that's why things are the way they are. And that to understand that in some of our worst times in our lives, God seems silent and he seems aloof almost when we are constantly praying to him. And we don't get an answer back. The natural person would tell us that this God is just simply non-existent or he's unconcerned with your day-to-day problems. And in the midst of all of that, we found that humanity as a whole and throughout history, when confronted with this type of response, has had the unique desire and ability to do it their own way. When they don't hear God in the midst of their prayers, they decide they're going to take care of it their own way, and then they ignore the call of God within what it is they're supposed to do, much to our detriment as people. And as we drew the series to a close a few weeks ago, we took a look at a psalm of Asaph, Psalm 77, in fact. We discovered that as human beings, we have responsibility. And a choice that gets made in the middle of all of the mess and the chaos that we can sometimes find ourselves in, we can and we must choose to remember. I mean, what Sunday better to remember than 9-11? Never forget. Take a moment to remember. 
Asaph challenged us to do that. We need to reflect on the things that God has always done for his people because that reminds us that he has been faithful through the ages, even at times when we are not. And that the promises that he has always been faithful in keeping, when we remember them, it strengthens us and it encourages us and it emboldens us to take our steps forward. And that even in that what, we, what we would consider to be the worst of times in our particular moment here in history or in our lives or in our family situation, whatever it is, that he is right in the middle of whatever it is you are dealing with. That is a covenantal promise of God. And we have to choose to step into that promise, however, and allow him to remind us deep in our souls of what it is he is doing and then become active agents within that. And join him in what it is he's doing. And sometimes, in fact, most times, that becomes difficult even for the best of men and women. It becomes very difficult because we are always stretched just a little bit beyond what it is we know we can do. So in the middle of any struggle or sickness, what does that look like? In the middle of any significant change within your life or, or any growth within your life as a human being, It's hard to remember and trust sometimes if we spiral down into the chaos and we forget to stop for a moment, reflect, pray, and take a breath and remember and trust. You see, that was the point, and it is the point of faith, if you recall. We learned that as well as the writer to Hebrews reminded us all. In trial and struggle, we have to stand on God's promises. Why do we have to do that? Because God is a faithful covenant keeping God that's why when he says he's going to do something he's going to do it even if everything we see around us looks like it's falling apart and it's collapsing because he is a covenant keeping God he has promised to take care of it he will and we see that all the way to the cross All the way to the hill of Golgotha, that unique thing that we discover as we read God's story in the Bible is that having the ability to do anything he desired in any way he chose, and he's the God of the universe, he made everything out of nothing, he could have done it any way he wanted, instead he chose broken humanity in obedience to his call and his plan to fix broken humanity. And I find encouragement in that because I'm broken, I don't know about the rest of you, but that means that I have hope that I have usefulness in the plan and the call of God because he uses us to affect his plan. You see, Adam and Eve made a choice in the garden and instead of starting from scratch and wiping them off the face of the planet, what did he do? He made a promise. He made a covenant. I'll fix this. What you broke, I will fix. He launched his promise there. Abram and Sarah, two very old people, well beyond the time of childbearing, set out on a faith journey from a place that was very comfortable for them to a place they had no idea about. Their obedience to God's call moved his plan forward to the next generation. When Abram was called to go and he said, okay, that moved the plan forward. Now we learned around Mother's Day and Father's Day, for those of you who are here as we studied in the book of Ruth, that even misguided and sometimes extremely poor decisions, God still enacts his plan. That's a beautiful thing. Even in the midst of unlikely places and through the most unlikely of people, a young Moabitess named Ruth makes the decision to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi, her mother-in-law, when she could have stayed where everything was okay in Moab with her family. A decision that we soon discover God would use to launch the next step of his redemptive plan. Because you see, in the time of the judges, we learned, just before the story of Ruth in the scriptures, 
The writer of the Judges puts it this way, and we, we quoted this verse back in Mother's Day. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's not a good place to be. It's a horrific truth to read, in fact, when we take a look at Scripture. And one that I give you today as the very problem that we still struggle with as humanity. Not just in this country, but in the world. But in the midst of that time, back in Ruth's day, in fact, what we're going to learn in the coming weeks, it was the ending of that chaotic time for the people of Israel. Faithful people in the midst of an unfaithful world believing that God would hear their prayers and act on their behalf, discovered that he was still very active, even though the world looked like it was spiraling down the toilet. In fact, he was stirring the heart of a young lady in what is once again a situation that seems absolutely hopeless. And the story picks up for us right where we started this morning at the end of the time of the judges when we read 1 Samuel starting in verse 1, that there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And one of the things that I find consistent in God's plan is his ability to reach right into the middle of absolutely impossible situations and show everyone involved just how possible things are with him. This is a perfect example. You see, through human beings who, for whatever reason, don't have the ability to do what it is God is calling them to do, find the ability to do it because he steps in and they believe that he'll work on their behalf. And most especially, it seems to me, when it comes to the producing of kids. I mean, you read the scriptures. Abram and Sarah, for example, let's take a look at them. Both way beyond the years of having a child. God says, no problem, just believe. Okay, that's echoed in a couple that we find in Luke's gospel, namely Zechariah and Elizabeth. Again, two people way beyond their years of being able to bear children. God says, no worries, you just do what you're supposed to do and I'll take care of what I'm supposed to do. Become part of the plan, be faithful. In other words, where things seem hopeless and impossible, I want you to understand that God says, I am right in the middle of that, making everything that I say possible, possible. We have to stand on that truth. It's a beautiful thought as we go about our days, isn't it? It should settle our spirit. For some of us, it doesn't. We get a little bit wiggy when we're control freaks, but that's for another time. But it should settle our spirits that God is in control in that way. If we can remember that he is the God of the impossible, And that what he needs is obedient people to step into the types of situations that he's calling us to step into. In faith, he will do the things through us that we never thought could be accomplished. This entire book is full of stories just like that. Faithful obedience in the midst of what looks like impossible situations. I'm telling you, the Bible gives us so many examples of people who look at things as they are and decide that if God said that they can be different and I'm supposed to do something about it, they step in and they'll do their part because they believe that he's faithful to his promises. And Hannah, we find, is one of those people. Married to a man, Elkanah, she happens to be the second wife. Now, a situation in and of itself, which is not good, and that begs for an entire message all by itself, but that's for another time. What I want to say, though, this morning is that it is sufficient to say That God gave Adam, Eve, one wife. God gave Eve, Adam, 
one husband. And it seems to me, as we observe our culture and our world today, that that setup seems to be the best way to go. Seems to be the best thing that works. Now, we seem to feel otherwise as a culture and as a country and as a world. And I leave that to you, highly intelligent people, to search out the statistics and see just which of those scenarios actually is working. Given what we discover here this morning, in the scriptures, we find that it didn't work very well way back then. And I find that to be a little bit interesting. So when we're challenged by the question that God seems to have allowed bigamy here because it's all written in the Bible, we need to realize that no, he did not. It was a cultural thing that the Bible, in every instance that it is existing, it is painted as a poor way to go about the business of the married life. It brings nothing but strife and trouble. And in an effort to get where we need to really be this morning, I just want to take a couple of observations and make them here. The first being that Hannah's husband was not what I would call the brightest and most relationally skilled fellow on the planet. Let's just take a minute and look at that. So men, we have things that we can learn here this morning from this story when it comes to serving our wives and understanding their needs in the journey that they are taking and having a happy and healthy marriage. You see, Hannah was unable to have children. And that's made very clear in verse 5 when the writer tells us, but Hannah, he gave a double portion. There he is, he's in trouble already. Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. That's an important thing to remember. Oh, well, here's Elkanah, she can't have kids, that's okay. I'll give her twice as much food at the table, drawing even more attention to this woman who's sitting there with no kids to make sure that everybody sees that I'm giving twice as much to her. Really not a good way to be helpful as a husband when she probably wants to fly under the radar. He draws all kinds of attention to her. You see, this happens every time we think we are doing the right thing, gentlemen, and we fail to ask our wives what it is they really need and what it is they are struggling with. Because we think we have the answer, so we try to make it work. And how does that work for us? Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Because here's the thought. Elkanah comes to the table. He says, hey, no worries. You can't have kids. I'll fatten you up, make you nice and contented and special by giving you a double portion of all the food. That'll be good for you, right? Because I love you. I'm going to make it real special. At least for the moment, I'm here to tell you, gentlemen, that is not the way to emulate as a husband at any level. Just know that when they leave wherever they are and they go home, if there's a comfortable couch in that house, that's where he's sleeping. He's not going to be in the bedroom going, oh, honey, I love you. She's going to probably hit him and walk very quietly back home, and he's going to understand that it wasn't a good thing. So moving ahead. Completely aloof of her struggle, he ignores the fact that his other wife, who has kids, continues to make fun of her and ridicule her in her barrenness. And he asks her here, it's so, so beautiful about the Bible. He asks her what I consider to be one of the most out-of-touch and stupid questions a man could ask. Okay? She wants kids, and he says to her, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Let that sink in. No, you idiot, you're not. Not at all. Yes, I love you. But no, you're not worth more to me than 10 sons, not at all. 
You see, in a culture where having children was what every woman desired and considered a blessing from God, to not have one was death and it was a curse. So for him to stand there and go, hey, am I not good enough? No, you're not. You're not. Pay attention to your wives, guys. Pay attention to your wives. Don't be like Elkanah. You got to pay attention to her needs. Pay attention to her desires. And do every single thing that you can that Paul commands you to do from Ephesians 5 under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in mutual submission to your spouse in order that you can be the head of the house the way Paul tells you to. Don't figure out the best and quickest way you can get put on the couch. It never ends well that way. Now, I leave chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, starting in verse 21 and all the way down through the end of chapter 30, or verse 32, for you guys to read slowly this week, okay? And ask yourselves this question, am I being what I am supposed to be for her? Because you too, if you are a husband and wife, you have been put together and you are supposed to work together in God's plan moving forward. Won't work if you be like Elkanah. It just doesn't work. So in the midst of all of this, we find the faithful heart of Hannah because I spent plenty enough time on that. We find her in her time of trouble. She gets up away from the table after that comment and she prays. She doesn't leave in a fit. She doesn't leave all angry and start throwing all kinds of stuff around. She does what we learned that the psalmists do. She went to God. Why? Because she knew that he would answer her prayer. He knew, or she knew, that that was the place to go. In the midst of what is going on here, in the midst of the chaos, we begin to see that one act of obedience. Starting in verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. I desire to be a part of your plan, Father. I want to be a part of your plan. If you will bless me with the greatest gift that can be given to me, a boy, I won't hold him tightly. I'll give him to you. I will give him back to you. Can we do that? No, and me writing this, I had to sit alone in my own misery looking at these things and realizing that there are some things that I can do and some things I can't. But I want to ask you, and I want to challenge you to ask yourself, can we do that? Can we be that person? Do we have the ability to trust God so much that everything that we have, we hold so loosely before him that if he was to ask us to let it go, we could? Do we have that ability? Can we do that? Can we do it without question? See, I'm forced to ask myself that and I find that I don't always like the answer that I get. I don't. So I want to ask you, what about you? Be honest in your prayer time. Be honest as you look at the scriptures and you wrestle in your heart before the Lord. What are some of the things? Can we trust him in our jobs? Can we trust him in our marriages? with our finances, with our kids, and with all of our stuff? Do we have the ability to trust him in that? See, there's some things that I'm real good at letting go of. And then there's other things that I hold on so tightly to that I choke the life right out of them because that's just a part of me that I have to work on because it's not a good part of me. How about you? 
I want to ask you this morning, where are you holding on to things so tightly that you could never see a time where you could let go of that thing and you could trust God in every step of the way? What about you? You see, Hannah, we learn, not only had her prayer honored by God in verse 20, but she, in one act of obedience, remained faithful and became active in God's continued plan of redemption for the people of Israel and the world. Verse 20 says, And in due time Hannah conceived and she bore a son. And she called him Samuel, for she said what? I have asked for him from the Lord. You see, she prayed like it depended upon God. And then she worked like it depended upon her. Because it did. You can't have one without the other. God would give her a son, but she and her husband would need to believe and then be active participants in that particular endeavor. But they prayed like it depended upon God. She then had to hold her her promise that if he would give her a son, she would give him up. Remember, she promised to give him over to the service of Yahweh in the temple if she was blessed with a boy. She was. And she did. And that's a powerful moment in Scripture. You see, this is a huge challenge here in the story of God and his redemptive history. Can we I keep asking that question, but it's one that needs to be asked. Can we? Again, will we and do we have the ability to so trust God that even though we have just a small piece of the puzzle on what it is we know we're supposed to do to go on, that we can step into that place in faith, knowing only then when we do that will he give us the next step? Can we and will we? Because it's clear to me in Scripture that that's how he operates. Now, you remember back in Ruth when we talked about, I think it was Father's Day we talked about this, when Naomi said to her, you get yourself all washed up. You get the nice perfume on. You get the pretty clothes on and all of that stuff. And you head on down to the threshing floor of Boaz. You uncover his feet and you wait to see what happens. Now, that story at that moment in time could have ended many, many ways. And only one way would have ended well for Ruth. Now, we have the end of that story, but she didn't. She just simply had her mother-in-law telling her what to do and you head down and wait to see what's going to happen. Her faith carried her to the threshing floor. And when she got there, the next step of what the promise of God was going to be came about because she stepped into what she knew in order to get the next step of what she needed. So when the time came, the question that needed to be asked was, would she? You see, the beautiful thing is, is that Ruth obeyed Naomi and she went. The beautiful thing about Hannah is that when she promised God she was going to give him her son, she did. She had her boy, and when it came time to go to the temple for the first year, she stayed behind. Now we read in verse 21 and following that the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I'll bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. See, he's smartened up here, guys. Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now in looking at this, I don't see anything at all of rebelliousness in Hannah's spirit or her attitude towards her husband at all. Rather, what I see is a woman who has every desire to honor her promise to God. But I also see a mom who wants to spend as much time with her boy as she can before she honors that promise to God. You see, God's gift to her is she could have it. She would keep it. 
So for three years that she nursed him, she would spend her time with this boy. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to nurse my son and tell him about the fact that God gave him to me, that he was a promise to me, that he was a promise fulfilled, that I received you when I felt empty. And she shared that with him over the first three years, that because God had given you to me, I promised to give you back to him. And I know you'll be used by him in ways that I'm not ever going to understand, but I want you to know that I prayed for you, that you are a promise of God, and that because you're a promise of God, I'm going to give you back to him one act of obedience. Started the ball rolling. One act of obedience. You see, this last part of chapter one gives us, through that act, the launching of the kingdom phase of the people of Israel. No longer would the judges rule. Eventually, Israel would ask for a king and they would receive a king and we will eventually get to there at some point in this fall. But we find that the boy who was the answer to Hannah's prayer and a covenant promise of God to Hannah is given over to him, verses 24 to 28. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the, bull, the, brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now, I'm not a mom. Painfully obvious for everybody here. I'm not a mom. I can't truly understand what's just happened here and occurred here in the scriptures. I can never understand, and I won't even pretend to. See, because having prayed and suffered and prayed some more, Hannah is given a son. Her heart's desire, as the psalmist would say, in God's sovereign and providential plan, her responsibility as a human being in the midst of that plan was to then turn around and give him back to God. Her one act of obedience sets the stage for the son of Jesse to come. And that's a beautiful thing. You see, the first three years of this young boy's life were formed by his mother. Don't ever forget that. The first three years of this boy's life were formed by his mother. Knowing full well that he was going to go and serve God all his days, she poured into him the blessings that God had given her and let him know how faithful God had been to his promises to her. So obedience to God brings blessing. Even when that obedience means having to give up the most important thing you have, even if it means leaving all that you hold to be secure and safe. Now I'm going to read that again very slowly to you. Obedience to God brings blessing. Even when that obedience means having to give up the most important thing you have. Even if that means leaving all that you hold secure and safe. Can we do that? Can we, like Hannah, in those areas of our lives, give over to God individually what it is he's asking for from us? 
whatever that may be, whatever struggles we have, whatever we're dealing with, can we do that? Can we as a community here at AGCC in Virgins and Ferrisburg area step into the faith journey that we're being called to and trust that God has it all under control? So I struggle with that. I'm a control freak. I'll be the first to tell you that. It's a weakness I have. And whenever it's made manifest to me, I get very angry at it. And then I get very angry at those wonderful people who love me enough to go, hey, you're a control freak. We have to learn to grow. You see, because what God is looking for us to say in the midst of all of this is, yes, Lord, I will. What is it you want me to do? And when do you want me to do it? And where do you want me to go? That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. But that's always the difficult part for us is his people. The letting go and allowing him to use us in our obedience to further his plan and his kingdom. Now, again, I said, for me, that's difficult. It always has been. But I pray that it not always will be. Because I am very aware of what my shortcomings are. And I pray that you are aware of what yours are as well. And that we are very real before the altar of God and what those are so that we can grow out of them and into everything he desires us to be. You see, because God's plan moves forward in and through his faithful people. We also have to grow in our trust in him that he will bring about what he says. And here's the painful thing. In order to grow in our trust of him, that he will bring about what it is he's promising to bring about, that means that our trust grows through trial and through circumstances that will always challenge our weaknesses. I'm not a fan of that. I don't know about the rest of you. But we grow in our trust of God through trial and circumstances that challenge our weaknesses. So as chapter 1 comes to a close in the story of 1 Samuel here, I like to have the worship team come up. The writer leaves us with something to ponder. One very last portion of verse 28, he very simply says this. He worshiped the Lord there. Who? Who worshiped the Lord there? Samuel. Samuel worshiped the Lord there. How old is he? Three? Three years old. Childlike faith operating on the trust of what his mother told him. Get a hold of that. Three years old, childlike faith operating on what his mother told him. You are a promise of God all in the midst of God's promises and her act and one act of obedience within that promise. You see, left now at the temple with nothing more to do with that, he worships the Lord. So I want to encourage you today, when you don't know what to do, do what you know. When you don't know what to do, do what you know. Open up the scriptures. Pray. Worship the Lord. And know that you're not going to get it right all the time. I'm not going to get it right all the time. And that's okay. We're broken people in a broken world asking our creator, what can I do to be a part of your plan? Grow me in a way that will allow me to be used by you. We're going to mess up. We're going to miss the mark and we'll probably shoot ourselves in the foot once or twice. That's not the problem. The problem is, is can you pick yourself up as a broken person and be obedient and be used by God in some of the most unusual ways that he can use only you in to affect his plan within your world. And I leave you with this. That Jesus, our king, 
Savior of all humanity, in his obedience, went all the way to the cross for you and for me. God could have done it any way he wanted, and he chose to do it in and through his son, who suffered as we suffered, who walked the roads that we rocked, and went right to the cross in obedience, that one act of obedience, the crucified as the king of the Jews, son of David, son of Jesse. One act of obedience. He then turns around and he leaves the entire endeavor in the hands of a bunch of bumbling fishermen, a couple of tax collectors, and others of questionable character. Welcome to the family of God. There is nobody here in this place today that's beyond his reach. There's nobody here in this room who cannot be used by him. And there is nobody in this room who is so far gone and has done something so bad that he will not, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, run like a girl. For those of you who were here last week, to rescue you from your very self. And I don't say that lightly because more than half of the New Testament we received from a murderous Pharisee who hated Jesus with such a passion, but in his one act of obedience, he was blinded on the road to Damascus and he went into Damascus and he waited for what his next assignment was. Saul of Tarsus, that great Paul the Apostle, took the word of God to the Gentiles. And that's who we are. We are the uttermost parts of the world because God is faithful to his plan and he works through broken people. And we are those people. So as we stand for this last song, let us pray. Father, there are times when sometimes we just need to hear your voice tell us that we are not so far gone that you aren't listening to us anymore. Sometimes we need to hear from our friends, from our family, and from the Holy Spirit within our spirit that no matter what we've done, you still love us. Like the father with the prodigal. Just come home to me, son. Come home to me. I want to challenge anybody here this morning who is struggling with a burden for growth, with a question of what they're supposed to do, even if it's just a little question of, Lord, will you even hear my prayer because I think I've screwed things up so bad, I don't even know what end is up anymore. I want to challenge you this morning to be engaged with those folks who are around this sanctuary. Don't leave this place without getting prayer from people who just want to go before the Lord with you because they love you, because Jesus loves you. Father, help us all to hear your voice today. Help us not to harden our hearts. Help us to know that you have our best interest in mind. Help us know most especially, Lord, that you are a covenant-keeping God and you promised to save us. So any of us who come to you and say, Lord, I've just messed everything up, please take my life and make it whole again. Come into my life and make yourself real to me that you will do that 
Make that so today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen. Father, search us and know us today. Draw us closer to you. Help us hear your voice and know your heart. Give each one of us the ability to hear what it is you say to us in such a way that we can give over to you what it is we're not supposed to keep. We can submit our lives to you, to the full headship and and the lordship of your son, Jesus. Encourage us, Lord, as we leave this place today to understand that we are part of your plan. That the gospel of Jesus gets brought forth in the world and in the country and in the very community that we live because we are to live faithful lives. We're to live lives that speak of Jesus even sometimes when we don't say anything, just in the things that we do. But most especially when we can share what it is you've done for us, Lord, what it is you've done through us, and what it is you've done within us. Encourage each of us, Lord, as we go back into our, our jobs and our places of business and our homes, that we would rest in the truth that you are still so very active today and you are passionate for humanity. You desire that every single one that you have your hand upon comes home to you. May we be a part of that, Father, as we leave here today. And we just give you thanks and we give you praise for all of the blessings. And even we thank you for the trials that we deal with, Lord, because we see your victory in that. When we're weak, you are strong. So we even hold on to those things and we say thank you, Lord, for growing us. Encourage one another each day as we move forward through this week and give glory to him who has saved you and brought you into life. In his name I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed today. Thank you.